Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Mark Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And today we want to welcome back again for her fourth show, which is a record for the program, Lindsay Randall. So, Lindsay, again, we want to thank you for coming and sharing again with us your knowledge of Pea Ridge and General Van Dorn. Thank you so much for having me back again. It's a privilege to have you. So, and it's a pleasure to have you. And so, <laughs> in our last show, Lindsay gave us a little teaser about the end of General Van Doren's life. So, Lindsay, if you would pick it up there, and then if you would go into his personal life uh, outside of him being a general and share with our sure. listeners about the life of Van Doren. So please pick it up because we are waiting. You, you said he was killed, and so please pick it up That's there. Right. Okay, so on May 7th, 1863, Major General Earl Van Dorn, who had for his entire adult life sought fame and renown and glory is murdered and it's for sh it's shameful it's seen as a shameful reason that he's murdered he is murdered by a man named dr george peters at his headquarters in spring hill tennessee and george peters is, is somewhere in his 50s or 60s and george peters is married to a really beautiful woman named jesse who is 17 18 and she has been having an affair with major general van dorn in fact he had been kicked out of his, the previous home that he was using as a headquarters because of this affair, because it was an embarrassment for the family that owned the home. And so Dr. Peters, and kind of um, historians don't particularly agree with exactly what was going on when the murder happened. What we know is that Van Dorn was sitting at his desk writing when Dr. Peters comes up behind him and, and shoots him in the head, and he dies right there at his desk. Peters is arrested. But he's never tried for the crime. Huh. And a lot of the other military leaders of the time see this as uh, maybe just desserts. It's considered shameful. He's been he's infamously known today as a flirt and had multiple affairs with multiple women. And this is what ultimately led to him dying in 1863. He doesn't survive the end of the war. And that's kind of a sad end to someone who's, you know, had this long military career, has spanned the war with Mexico, the early Native American Wars, the Civil War, all of these brave, rash decisions he makes, and, and he's murdered by an angry husband. And is there a reason why uh, Dr. Peters was not tried for this crime? You know, I couldn't find, There's it's difficult to find specific information about it, but I came to a couple of potential understandings. One, this was one of those things where a lot of people just kind of felt like Van Dorn got what he deserved. Peters had warned him the month before about rendezvousing with his wife. In fact, some sources say that Peters chased Van Dorn out of his house and threatened him. And so that could be part of it. Another part of it is this This happens in, in 1863. As we get into 1864 and 1865, I, I think that the Governments are just going to have other things on their mind. Sure. Um, I think this is going to be a lesser issue. And and I was reading this afternoon about Dr. Peters and, and Jesse. They divorced. But then the sources I saw this afternoon said that they eventually remarried and had children later on. So they were able to, to kind of reconnect that Van Dorn is killed. So at this point, Lindsay, what is Van Dorn's reputation in the Confederacy and within the military of the Army of the Confederacy? 
So if you read, it depends on who's writing the letters. Some of the soldiers still thought he was, you know, a heck of a guy, especially those who had worked with him in the cavalry units. They thought there wasn't a braver uh, or more rash leader, but they respected his bravery. Others thought that he was an incompetent fool who led to significant deaths. In fact, his former aide-de-camp, Dabney Morey, who lost a significant number of troops at the Second Corinth battle, really doesn't respect Van Dorn. There are, just, there are a lot of letters saying things about how he made so many poor choices that led to the deaths of, of men. But one of the things I like to really come back around to is he is a very able cavalry commander, regardless of his personal, you know, we could look at we could air the dirty laundry of a lot of different Civil War generals and leaders and kind of talk about some of the things they did and, and really, I guess, across all military history. But he is a good cavalry commander. His bravery and the Mexican-American War, his brilliant idea about the Holly Springs raid that really is super successful, those show that he's good in these smaller roles. I just think he's promoted beyond his abilities. And he's not taken out of command soon enough. He should not have been given command of another large troop after the Battle of Pea Ridge, in my opinion. The loss at Pea Ridge was the beginning of the end for the Confederate war effort west of the Mississippi. There are a handful of other engagements that are going to happen over there. Like I said, the December 1862 Prairie Grove. In October 1864, the Battle of Westport up in Kansas City, Missouri. The last Confederate offensive west of the Mississippi. It's Curtis and Price all over again. But after Pea Ridge, there's never a real genuine chance that the Confederacy has of holding that area. And I think that that's probably the biggest part of his legacy, the loss of that chance with such a numerically superior force. So you, um, you, so you believe that early in the war with the Battle of Pea Ridge, that was all, already some of the beginning salvos of the end of the Confederacy in the West? And that's early on. I, Yes, I think so. Wow. I think so. And I think that the evidence of that is the lack of any other significant, like real major battles. You know, there's there's not they're not even going to be sending major forces over here because nobody's particularly concerned about it. A lot of it, but the Trans-Mississippi is going to focus more in Kentucky, Tennessee and Mississippi. And we contrast that to in the West where the Union general out there is Ulysses S. Grant. So it's mm-hmm. interesting that you would say that, that early on in the war, it's already the beginning salvos of the, the downfall of the Confederacy that late early on. Huh. Yeah, I think so in the West. You know, I don't want to say West, that yeah. that's the, the pivotal battle, but right, I, I think right. it's the beginning for them. And with, um, you know, if the Union armies can control the Mississippi, that's part of the Anaconda plan to stranglehold the, the Confederacy. Yes. Would you exactly. go back and share with our listeners some of the life of Van Dorn other than his military career? To give us sure. Background? Um, I mean, his military career is mostly his life because he is a military man through and through. In my research, what I came to realize is once he was married and he, he married and he had a couple of kiddos, he really didn't see his wife very much. He didn't visit her very often. And so, I mean, there's there's not a lot to talk about with him outside of his military career because it was such a big part of his life from the time he was young. You know, like I said, in the first episode, he's born down near Natchez, Mississippi, I think Port Gibson area, and he's going to be interested from an early age in joining the military. And so I, I don't have a lot of extra facts to share about what he did outside. Now, I've said earlier, he's he's a womanizer. You know, he is a, a flamboyant, very 
gregarious, like lots of fun, as we see from his conduct role. He was number 210 out of 217 cadets on the conduct role at West Point, and he got in trouble for a lot of things like drinking alcohol and skipping church and gambling and carousing. So he just was a very <laughs> extroverted person, Ext- I guess maybe I would say. Now, do you think that he was he didn't spend a lot of time with his wife? Was that due to, to his military career or was it was just not a very good marriage? Well, I think that they loved each other, but I think, you know, he's sent to just think. So if their home is in Mississippi, he's going to be sent to Florida to fight Seminoles. He's going to be sent to Texas to fight Comanches. He's going to be, you know, in West Arkansas. He's going to be in, you know, Corinth is up in northern Mississippi. So he's just really all over the place. In when when the Civil War breaks out, he's only in his late thirties, early forties. They haven't been married most of their marriage. He's been away from home on these different, you know, duties. And so I do think that he also finds tenderness in the arms of other women. So he's maybe less focused on developing a, a you know a closer connection with his wife. So when he is killed, where is he buried, and where the the cemetery where he's buried? And my other question is, when his wife finally passes, are they buried together? You know, I. I'm fairly certain that he's buried in western Mississippi near Natchez. I do believe they were buried together. I don't think that she ever remarries. You know, she she does love him, but he there's not like this great because remember the way he dies is pretty is shameful. So there's not a lot of fanfare about him passing and not a lot of uh, people that that I'm familiar with that make treks to visit his grave. I can tell you that at the Battle of Pea Ridge there is a monument for Van Dorn and Curtis as well as the leaders the brigadier generals killed there McCulloch McIntosh and Slack. And so there is kind of an attempt to kind of remember him, but there's not, when you visit the Pea Ridge National Military Park, the narrative there is about, you know, his failure of command. There's not a lot of positive focus on him, understandably, just based on on that. I do want to, you know, kind of mention here, if we if we think back to the beginning of this, you know, Pea Ridge, the Battle of Pea Ridge is one of the lesser known Civil War battles, but it's got some really interesting pieces that kind of stand out, like that idea of the, the visibility of the entire Union line from flank to flank across an entire field of battle. You can stand at the East Overlook there, which is up on that big mountain, and you can look out over the battlefield today, and it's in that part's entirety, and just imagine this massive force of troops facing each other across. I mean, really, uh, from from the federal line to the Confederate line is only about a half a mile apart. It is it is really wow. close. And so the, the dangers that a lot of these troops faced in the late 1800s and then again in the early 1900s, survivors of both armies come back together at the battlefield to have reunions. And there, there are pictures taken. I think the last one that I saw was in the 1920s where they come back together and they, they have kind of a remembrance there at the battlefield. And I know that you spend a lot of time out at Pea Ridge. Would, would, is that one of the battlefields that you would recommend when our listeners get out to your neck of the woods of coming and visiting? And it, it, I, I, I'm sure you're going to say yes. And and what is there for the visitors that visit the battlefield that they can see at, you know, at Pea Ridge? 
Absolutely. So I would 100% suggest people come to see the battlefield. I'm out there regularly. It's, it's only about 30 minutes from my home. One of the neat things about the Pea Ridge National Military Park is they have just recently, within the last year, um, become involved in the National Parks program where it's free to come. There's, you know, it used to there was a fee, but now it's free. There is a visitor center with a museum. It's got a, a neat about 30 minute video. In fact, I think your listeners can probably find it on YouTube if they're interested. It's called Thunder in the Ozarks. And it goes in, it's a, a dramatized film about the Pea Ridge uh, battle. They, they have, um, it's a seven mile loop that you can drive. You can also see part of the Trail of Tears goes through the battlefield. So you can see a couple of spots on the battlefield tour where the Trail of Tears happened. There are cannon that are out in the locations where the cannon were. You can visit the East Overlook, like I said, and see the entire battlefield. It's, it's my favorite spot in the park and it's just gorgeous view. And then the Elkhorn Tavern has been rebuilt. It, it burned at some point in the 1800s and it's been rebuilt. rebuilt. And um, it's often open on the weekend for visitors to go in and you can go in and see. One of the interesting things I forgot to mention about Elkhorn Tavern is there was a family that lived there and when the battle happened, it came upon them so quickly that they didn't have time to leave. And so the family that lived in that tavern was in the cellar during the battle. And the tavern survives. It's, it's hit by at least one cannonball. And then it's used overnight as a field hospital. And one of the things that that, that film, The Thunder and the Ozarks, talks about is, you know, the, the blood from upstairs kind of coming through some of those plank floors into the cellar where they are. And it's, you know, something that kind of sticks in their minds as, as the children that are there grow older is this battle that they were literally in the center of down at the cellar. And so the cellar is not open for, you can't go down and see the cellar today because of the safety, but you can see the downstairs portion of Elkhorn Tavern. It's really a neat, neat part of the visit. So I would definitely, I like to bike it. Um, but biking, hiking, driving, it's all available at Pea Ridge National Military Park, and you should definitely make it a part of your visit to Arkansas. And do you, uh, listener, listeners, Lindsay is also a runner. Do you run through Pea Ridge Park? I have run Pea Ridge National Military Park. I don't do it a lot because most of the time when I'm able to be out there, it's summer and it's very hot. Um, I, my favorite thing to do out there is bike. But yes, you can run out there as well. It's a big paved seven-mile loop. Okay. So tell our listeners again the name of the film, and if they didn't get it, that they could possibly see online or on YouTube. Absolutely. It's called Thunder in the Ozarks. And you would probably want to type in Thunder in the Ozarks Battle of Pea Ridge. And that refers to that uh, tremendous artillery bombardment. It was so loud, you could hear it as far away as Springfield, Missouri, a couple hundred miles to the north. You could hear it as far south as Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, it's just because the noise carries over the mountains. And so it's called Thunder in the Ozarks based on that artillery bombardment. And it's it's a good film. It, it gives you a really good kind of view with primary quotes from the soldiers of, of what this battle was like. Mm-hmm. And do, do we have any information, Lindsay, on Van Dorn's two children? Um, I don't recall finding any. I don't recall the information on his children, unfortunately. I don't know if they went on to to also be military kiddos as well. Uh, one other thing that um, I did want to share, and it just has come to my mind, you know, I mentioned that there were 
mounted Cherokees at this battle. If you read through the the correspondence and the official records of the War of the Rebellion after the battle, there is correspondence between Van Dorn and Curtis about wounded exchange and and those types of things. And Curtis writes to Van Dorn and accuses some of these Cherokee soldiers of scalping wounded Union soldiers at the battle. And so in response to that, Van Dorn writes back and says, essentially, we all know that these are civilized tribes. I hate that you've been given that information. I hope it's not true. But also, I heard that German soldiers from the Union side were murdering Confederate uh, prisoners. And so it's just like this, this tit for tat. And, and yeah, another right. interesting piece of this is that it's, so, it's a multicultural battle. You have a lot of German troops. You've got Franz Segel, who is German, who's, who's a Union officer. You've got um, Alexander Asboth, who's an Hungarian officer on the Union side. And then you've got these Cherokee mounted rifles. And someone just told me earlier this week, I haven't had an opportunity to check the book out, but that there is a newer book by Chris Huggard looking at African-American troops in this battle. And I haven't been able to read that yet. I've never seen any information on that, but that's one that I'm going to be looking into to see another perspective of this battle. And, and is, there, is there a book that you would recommend to our listeners that they could read about Van Dorn and the Battle of Pea Ridge? Oh, absolutely. There are a lot of really good books um, that, that kind of touch on this. I think probably the best one is by Shea and Hess called Pea Ridge Civil War Campaign in the West. It's a book from 1992, so it's a little older, but that was one. I still have that one, and I'll read it occasionally. If you're interested specifically about Van Dorn, there's a book called The Tarnished Cavalier, about him uh, from 1999. And then if you're able to get your hands on it, and I had to do like an interlibrary loan, so I'm not even sure where people would get their hands on this book, but his sister wrote a book about him. It's called A Soldier's Honor with reminiscences of General Major General Earl Van Dorn. It's from 1902. It's, it's a very difficult book to find. Yeah. But it's got a lot of really interesting letters between Van Dorn and his family members that give you a view of, of who he is. And where would you personally rank Van Dorn in incompetent generals of the Confederate armies? I mean, I would, I would rank him pretty high just because he makes the same mistake multiple times. It's like he did not learn anything from P. Ridge. He made the same mistakes over at Corinth. And so that's really frustrating. Like as I was reading all of this stuff back when I was researching all this in college, I just, and I'm sure like your listeners are like you, I was like, really? Really? Is this what we're doing again? You know, and I'm not even militarily trained but these things sounded like bad ideas to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think he ranks pretty high. I, I do just want to hit back around, though. I think he doesn't hold all the responsibility, though, because he was put in charge. He was promoted above his abilities. And, and there were people above him that should have seen this is this is not someone we need to continue to have in charge. So. And and I know that d- during World War Two, there was a camp Van Dorn. It, was that named in his honor? doubt it. There are, I know there, are, as I was researching, I think there are a few other Van Dorns that, that play some military roles, but I don't want to speak to that for certain, but I, sure. I can't right. imagine that, that he would have had um, anything named for him. And do you know if there's uh, any large monuments or several monuments in his honor in Mississippi or Arkansas? None that I know of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there, I, I was trying to, because my, my family and I were going to be down, we are going to be down in Natchez, Mississippi at Christmas. And I was trying to find, well, is there a place I can go to, to kind of look more into this? And I was just researching this about two weeks ago and I couldn't really find much of anything. Or there was like one house where I could go where he had lived at some point, um, but I, I couldn't find a lot for him. And, you know, that's maybe what, what happens because of the, the shameful legacy he's left with, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah and, and you and I both know as, we, as historians that the tragedy when we have incompetent leaders is a lot of people die. And a lot yeah. of people die that should never have to die. And, and it's how important it is to have competent people in the military, particularly all in time of war. Let me, yeah. let me ask you this, Lindsay. I'm like, who do you believe in your study was the best Confederate general in all the war? Oh, goodness. Or do you have a favorite Confederate general? My, that is, that is a, that's a really good question, Arch. Well, I hate to say that Van Dorn is my favorite general because, <laughs> because I've spent so much time. For a negative reason. The, I understand that. Yeah, yes. for a negative reason. But, you know, when I'm looking at people who were able to um, have their troops look up to them and and trust them, you know, um, some of the ones or maybe the one that really stands out to me in my mind and, and not for the reasons I just said, but Jeb Stewart because of his flamboyance and because of his, I'm, I'm typically drawn more to, to cavalry studies, mm-hmm. maybe because of the time I spent studying Van Dorn. Um, I also had an uncle named after Chip Stewart. Um, and so here in the South, it's not uncommon to, to have, you know, names and families that are connected to, to some of these generals. But I, I like reading about Jeb Stewart because of his flamboyance, because of his bravery. Um, but I haven't spent a ton of time studying a lot of the battles east of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And so most of my knowledge is going to be west. I, I did just want to tell you guys, I was speaking to one of the Park Service Rangers last week, and I was like, you know, what? what's something really interesting about Pea Ridge, you know, that, that people don't typically know about? And he said, well, I'll tell you the story of this horse that broke away from Confederate lines during the battle. This is beautiful white horse. And it came running across into the Union lines and it was captured and it was it was presented to I can't remember which of the leaders. It might have been Jefferson C. Davis, but I could be misremembering that. But it was presented to uh, one of the commanders and then it kind of made its way up into um, the Union and they named it Skedaddle because it had run across these lines. And he told me that that horse Skedaddle captured there at Pea Ridge from the Confederates, marched in a victory parade at Appomattox. And so I I tried to do some research on it. Things are pretty spotty when it comes Mm -hmm. to that kind of story. But he told me that was his favorite piece of information from Pea Ridge was this horse capture that was then ridden later um, after Appomattox. The one Confederate general that I find fascinating is PTG Bolgard. He's all over. Yeah. He's all over the war. You know, he's all over the place. So, well, you again, know, Lindsay, I, we're up against time. These times are so quickly. So, we want to thank you for 
sharing everything that you've shared with us about the Battle of Pea Ridge and, and General Van Dorn and his personal life and the mistakes he made and, and all, all of your research for your math thesis and, and your teaching, your modern teaching. So thank you so much. This is, this is great stuff. And again, it's a battle that a lot of people don't know anything about. And it, it's an important battle, particularly for the war in the West early on in the war. So thank you so much uh-huh. for sharing with us. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you for letting me share. And I'll only thank you if you promise that you'll come back and share some other things with us in future programs. Oh, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Well, I'd be our pleasure to have you. So thank you so much for coming. And we certainly appreciate it. Thank you. This, so listeners, this is WFYL 1180 AM, Working for Your Liberty. <laughs>